As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 22 through 34 today. Hey, Abby, thank you for using the gift that God gave you to lead us in worship here in that last song. Abby, you're, uh, you're what, nine years old? Something like that? <laughs> Fourteen, right? Fifteen. All right. And she's leading us in worship this morning. Thank you so much. Let's give her a hand for, uh, for that as well. I, uh, I need to start with a little bit of a confession here. One of my lifelong struggles is worry. In fact, I, I remember all the way back when I was just a little guy, three, four years old, uh, I, I felt that emotion, felt that sense of anxiety and worry. Now, I was never worried about hurting me. In fact, I was kind of fearless and drove my mom crazy in that way, doing things like that. But, but uh, I, I was fearful about other people hurting me. In fact, I, I, I used to be scared to death of Santa Claus. I mean, what kind of guy wears a red felt jacket with a big old beard, you know, that kind of thing? But I, I was scared of what other people might do to me. Uh, whenever I reached young adulthood, I was rather fearless about taking on new responsibilities, career, college, leaving home. That didn't really worry me, but finding love worried me. And I would get tied up in knots over the ups and downs of that journey of trying to find love. And then as I've been an adult, uh, worry has kind of moved outward. I don't worry that much about myself or what people might think of me, but I, I worry some about the people that I love. I have four kids, and someone has said that parenting is like having your heart run around outside your body. <laughs> and I understand what they mean by that, because we all can be tempted to worry about the well-being of our children because we love them so much. And as a pastor, um, I, I hope you guys know this. I love you guys. And, and as a pastor, whenever I see you go through the ups and downs of life, I sometimes am tempted to worry. Occasionally I'll see people within the church, they go through difficult seasons in their life and perhaps move a little bit further away from God. And I grow concerned about you. I, I grow worried. It's easy for us to worry. And so I, I say that because I realize this, I'm not alone in this. Okay? There's a lot of people in this room that struggle with what Jesus is going to talk to us about today, which is worry. In fact, how many of you would, would be honest and say, yeah, Lash, I, I sometimes struggle with worry myself. Okay, Yeah, okay. And a few of the others are now telling the truth because other people have told, told the truth, right? Jesus knows that this is a struggle. He, he knows that it's real, and that's why he addressed it several times throughout his teachings, and here in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, he says to his disciples, these are people that are actual followers of Jesus, he says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap, they don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? So um, this week uh, was my annual hiking trip. Once, uh, once a year I go with a group of friends and we go hiking. And one of the things about hiking in, in the mountains is that 
it's wise to prepare. I mean, you're going to be out in remote areas, and so you need to make sure that that you prepare your gear, that you take with you a map, and that you take with you water and whatever food that you need and whatever gear that you need. It's always good to have a compass and, uh, you know, certain things that just sunscreen, certain things that just will help you be prepared for a hike. But one of the things that I've learned about going hiking is that there's some things that you can't really prepare for. You just have to deal with them because they're beyond your control. For example, this year, we discovered that it was going to be uh, like 100 degrees in the mountains. So we're here in the mountains trying to escape the heat, and it's 15 degrees cooler in Texas. What's up with that? You know, that's just not right. That's just wrong. So, so I mean, you can, we're Texans. We know how to deal with heat, and so you can, you can kind of prepare for that. But at some point, you just have to say, all right, I'm not going to let this hold me back. I'm just going to jump in, and I'm going to deal with it, and, and we're just going to have to live in, in the moment. You know, teachers are the same way. As you report for school this year, you need to be prepared for the classroom and make sure that everything's right. But then there's a time where you just have to go with it. There's going to be unexpected things. You're going to have this student like this student, like this student, like this. Ooh, this one's a little bit of a challenge. You know, there's certain things that you just can't prepare for. You just have to go with them because they're, they're, they're a part of life. So make sure you catch this, this quote here, okay? Preparing or planning prepares you for life. Worry keeps you from life. Did you catch that? I'll rewind the DVR. Okay. Planning prepares you for life, but worry keeps you from life. Jesus is not saying that you can't plan, that we shouldn't plan our meals for the week, you know, that it's more spiritual to say, you know, this week I'm just going to spontaneously stop by Taco Bueno or CC's or wherever the Spirit leads me, and I'm just going to eat as the food comes. And, no, he's not saying that, 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 that you can't do some basic wise planning, But what he is saying is that life is more than all these things that often consume us. Life is more than what's for lunch or what am I going to wear. If you think about that, it's all very, very temporary stuff. As important as that brisket was to you men, our ladies, five days ago, whenever you prepared it meticulously, You put all the seasoning on it and you marinated it and you got the fire going and the smoker just perfectly and you smoked that brisket for 12 hours and it came out with the most delicious bark and when you cut through it, it had a beautiful smoke ring and you put it on Facebook because this brisket was an absolute work of art, right? (laughs) As important, thank you, Rick, as important as that brisket was, was to you five days ago, today you're going to throw it in the trash. Because if you feed it to your family, it's going to give them food poisoning. That coat that you stalked on Amazon two winters ago, you know what I'm talking about? Man, that is the most amazing coat. Let me read the reviews. Oh, wow. And you stalked it late into the night, you know, chasing it, until finally you got 20% off and you hit one-click purchase, and it was sent to you, and then you tracked it all the way, and you thought, this is the greatest coat ever. If I just wear this coat, I'll never be cold again. And and you got it, and you wore it for two winters. The next fall's coming up, and it's probably going to go to Salvation Army this winter, because another coat's on the way, right? 
These things that once were so valuable to us, eventually we just throw them out. And Jesus says, now consider the raven, nature's garbage man, a scavenger bird, a, a, a bird that was considered by his culture to be dirty and worthless, and yet God cares about that bird so much that he feeds the bird. Now here's the irony of all this here. The food that you wanted but then became your garbage then becomes God's provision for the raven. As he takes care of you, he's also taking care of his creation. And then Jesus says, all right, so if, if God's going to take care of this, this bird that everybody considers to be dirty and nasty within our culture, don't you think that God is going to take care of you as well? Don't worry. Well, then he begins to dive into the foolishness of worry. He says, can any of you add a cubit to his height by worrying? If then you're not even able, not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Worry comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word. In its etymology, it literally means to strangle. Whenever we start worrying, we strangle ourselves, we strangle life, and we also begin to strangle the people that we love with our worry. Corey Ten Boom one time wrote, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And much of what we worry about, we have absolutely no power to change. I was born in Peoria, Illinois. I figured there would be a boo or something like that. For, okay. Now, when I was a small boy, my family realized the error of their ways, and they moved to the glorious Republic of Texas. And I have lived in this wonderful state for 37 years. I have four kids, all of which were born south of the Red River and have Texan blood. Texas is my home. But I will never be considered a Texan by those of you that were actually born here, right? Because you have to be born on Texas soil to be a Texan. That's just the rules, okay? There's nothing I can do to change it. It doesn't matter if I live here a hundred years. I'll still be a Yankee from Illinois who pronounces his vowels. I understand, okay? I, I, I get that. I, I can't change that. There's certain things uh, about our, our physical makeup that, that we can't change. My, my forehead is so pronounced that whenever I go to the zoo, children mistake me for a dolphin, okay? Uh, I, I can't change those things. There are many things over which we have no control over. We, we can't control how God made our basic physical makeup. We can't control uh, where you were born or when in history you were born. I'm going to say this, okay, and I'm going to go out on a little path, but I mean it. You can't control your gender, okay? God made us in his image. He made us male and female. Gender's not fluid. Gender is something that God instilled within you. There is a natural complement of gender that comes to you from God above. Embrace who you are. Embrace how God made you. There are certain things in life that you just cannot change. You can't change others. You know, all those people that you yell at for being on their cell phone in traffic, not one of them have heard you. Okay? Have you ever really tried to change 
somebody else? I mean, you can nag them, you can, you can get on to them, but ultimately for them to truly change, something has to take place within them that causes them to change. You can't change nature. Most of your life, you really can't control. I, I often talk about the big, bu- the big bucket, the medium bucket, the small bucket. In, in the small bucket, you actually have some control over. The medium bucket, you have very little control over. In the big bucket, you have no control over. And most of your life is in the big bucket. There are things that are beyond you that you can't control. You can worry about it, but Jesus says here, it's not going to do you any good. If you're vertically challenged worrying about it, it's not going to make you a cubit taller. It's just a waste of time. And so he continues in verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all this splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? And then notice this last little part. You of little faith. At the peak of King Solomon's wealth, it is estimated that his annual income would be the equivalent of about $10 billion a year. He was king over Israel at a time in which it was very, very prosperous And they were blessed with a tremendous amount of gold. And the guy loved gold. He built buildings with gold. All of his cups were gold. He even worked gold into his clothing and even had gold dust that would be sprinkled into his hair. And so you can imagine this ancient civilization and the king comes out to address his people and he has gold in his raiment and color in his raiment. And whenever they would see the great King Solomon, who had so much wisdom, it was like nothing they had ever seen before. I mean, this is an amazing man. One day, one day you got to do this. You, you need to go to a national forest or a national park and you need to go beyond the crowds. And I know sometimes we're physically limited and we can't, but like 90% of the people that, that visit the national forest or parks, they never get more than one mile away from the parking lot. So one of these days, just, just, just go, go beyond the crowds and go to a mountain area where there is a, a, a wild meadow, where there's wildflowers growing in the meadow. And just camp out there for a little bit. Just spend some time in that meadow and look around. There's no true green. There's no landscaping crew. There's no irrigation. There's no HOA rules. Can I get an amen on that? All you have is God. Just His, God's garden. It is more beautiful, more majestic, more awe-inspiring than anything that we can create. No comparison. So peaceful. So beautiful. And Jesus says, drain yourself of worry and fill yourself with faith. That's how I take care of the flowers which are here today. And then the winter will come and they will wither and die. They are are inconsequential to you. And how much I love you. And how much... You matter to me. Don't you think that our Heavenly Father, if He will take care of His own creation, that He will also take care of His dear children who are eternally loved in Christ? 
You don't have to be worried about all those things that are beyond your control because they're within God's control. He is the creator, and not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer. And nothing within the universe is beyond his sovereign power. So Jesus continues. He says, don't stop striving, or don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. So he told us, first of all, don't be worried. Now he tells us, don't be anxious. And then he begins to give us another illustration. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Now, in Jesus' teaching, the Gentile world would represent the secular world. It's the world outside of God, the the godless world, if you will. And it's an uptight world. It's a world that is worried all the time. It's a world that sometimes can be very, very dark. The godless world is a world that can never relax. Why is it a world that can never relax? Why is it a world that is uptight? Why is it a world that is worried all the time? Because it is always chasing after appetites that can never be satisfied. People spend lifetimes trying to quench appetites that cannot be quenched apart from God. You know that world well. Most of you work in it. You live within it. You see it on your TV. This secular Gentile world spends billions of dollars in marketing trying to lure you into it and trying to tempt you into living your life for things that never truly satisfy. Jesus told those who are Christians, he told his disciples that we are to be in the world but not of the world. In other words, we're to be able to bring the kingdom of God into the world in which we live. So many of us wrestle with worry, and we wish we didn't. We wish we could be free from worry. We will never be free from worry so long as we are looking at temporary things to satisfy eternal appetites. At the core of humanity is a desire for faith, hope, and love. All human beings have a basic appetite for faith. We need to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And so you'll find even atheistic, godless people, they will have some cause, they will have some belief. It may be political, it it may even be their atheism. It becomes their cause that they place their faith in because we have a basic natural appetite to be a part of something and to believe in something that is bigger than ourselves. We also desire, we desire love. We, we desire to be connected to somebody, to other people. Uh, that's why it's such a large part of our entertainment, a large theme within our entertainment, within our conversations, because even the introverts among us, you, you need love. Everybody, extrovert, introvert, you need love. You need to be connected to something. And we also need hope. You take away hope from someone, it's very difficult to live. We, we need hope in, in something that's in the future, something that goes beyond today, something to believe in. That is three appetites, faith, hope, and love, three appetites that every human being has, but no human being can satisfy. 
And so people spend their lifetimes trying to satisfy that. And your faith, hope, and love are only as great as the object or the person in which you place them. So the cowboys are at training camp. And a lot of us have faith, hope, and love in Dak, Des, and Zeke. And they can satisfy for a while, but it ultimately doesn't last. To the playoffs, yeah. yeah. And then even whenever you win the Super Bowl, and I know for us Cowboy fans, it's like a long time ago, you know, before most of y'all were born, you know, they, they won a Super Bowl. And, uh, and, and then you win a Super Bowl, and then, and then guess what? Super Bowl's over, and you start a new season. Appetite was quenched, but then you're zero and zero again. Got to do it all over again. Your kids are amazing. You love your kids deeply. But if you're trusting in your children to satisfy your deepest needs for love, it's not going to go well. Sometimes they're going to go different directions. Sometimes uh, it's going to be painful. It, it, you're, you're, that's not ultimately how your chil- what your children were created for, to satisfy all your needs for love. We, we try to do this in marriage as well. Find somebody who will be my soulmate, who will complete me. They will, they will, they, whenever I'm with them, they will just cheer me on and make me perfect in every way, and I'll just, I'll just fly with the eagles and everything will be great. We'll live happily ever after, but that's just not how it works. If you're looking for your, your spouse to, to satisfy your complete appetite for love, it's, it's not going to work. I love your spouse, be married to your spouse, be committed to your spouse, but they're not going to satisfy your entire appetite for love. If, you know, I pray that God blesses blesses you with 10 million dollars and that you generously and faithfully give one million of that to this church you know <laughs> that, that that'd be nice i uh, just just a tenth you know a tithe you know uh, at the same time okay let's say that that happens to you right? and so you get to take a new you get in take a better vacation get a bigger house that kind of stuff it's, it's ultimately not going to satisfy your appetite it's not going to satisfy your appetite for faith hope and love You'll still, you'll still be chasing after things. And a lot of times whenever you get to a point financially where you're like, okay, if I can just get here, I'll be secure. And then you get that point, and now you're worried that you're going to lose it. And so Jesus comes down to the key here. L- look at verse 31, because this is really important. Highlight it, put it on a T-shirt, put it on a coffee mug, send it on a calendar to your grandparents this Christmas. I don't know, but make sure you get this verse, okay? Seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Seek his kingdom first, and these earthly things will be provided for you. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. This is it. This is the key. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on I want the heavenly kingdom to come, and I want God's will to be done here on earth as he sees it, as he wills it in heaven. Ultimately, I I want to seek his kingdom first, and as I go above the line to seek his kingdom, I'm then able to bring his kingdom into the earth and into my life. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Because I live with a faith, hope, and love that is invested in something that is eternal. And so when I'm anchored into something that is eternal, I am free to live in the temporal. The key to letting go of worry 
is to see the world from a heavenly point of view. To understand that the world goes far beyond you. To outlive your life by making investments in things that are eternal. What we looked at last week. And when our faith, hope, and love are placed in God, it liberates us to live life here. Because we have a faith, hope, and love that are anchored in something that is never changing, that is eternal, that will always be there for us no matter where we go, no matter, no matter what we do. And then that frees us to enjoy the relationships that we have here on earth, to enjoy the life that God has called us here, to use our one and only life in, in, in a way that, that makes a difference. And so Jesus has said, don't worry, don't be anxious. And then look at verse 32. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Little flock. He goes into the shepherd metaphor. We're the sheep, he's the shepherd. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. It brings God joy to give you the heavenly perspective. If any man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask. And God delights in giving you the heavenly perspective. He delights in filling you with a faith, hope, and love that comes from heaven. So there's no need to be afraid. You know, we live in a society that is totally in the grip of fear. The awareness of the internet uh, has caused us to have an increase in fear. And so many of us don't live life because we're too scared to live life. Just think about how many locks you have in your life, you know, locks in your house, locks in your car, locks on your computer, locks on your phone, locks of love. I don't, you know, locks, okay? Locks everywhere. And this awareness has caused so many of us to, to be afraid. And, and Jesus says, okay, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, because your heavenly Father delights to give you the kingdom. He delights to give you something that the world can never give you. But seek first his kingdom. And then these other things are given to you. Whenever you seek first the kingdom of God, it allows you to be a generous person. He says, sell your possessions and, and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old or an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, I promise you, I could talk about this passage of Scripture for hours, but you wouldn't like that, okay? Get this, though. Don't miss it. Seek first the kingdom of God. And when your faith, hope, and love are in God, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You can be courageous. That's a rare commodity in this society. Someone that lives with courage. You don't have to be greedy anymore. You can be generous. You don't have to worry about all those things, those temporary things that a hundred years from now won't matter anymore. You don't have to spend all, all your time worrying about losing what you have. All these things that you can't take with you. You don't have to worry, you don't have to be anxious, and you don't have to fear. The scene is Fort Antonia. There's a bruised, beaten Jesus. And he stands bleeding before a prideful soldier by the name of Pontius Pilate. From a worldly perspective, Pilate had obtained all that life had to offer. He was a great success. Physically, he was a great soldier. He probably was an imposing individual. He had traveled the world with the Roman Empire and had been a veteran of war. And 
through his exploits and maneuvering, he had reached a point where he no doubt had money and he had power, and within his region, he had full authority. And in John chapter 19, Jesus stands before him, and he asks Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus looks at him and doesn't answer. And, and so Pilate says to him, you're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You're not going to talk to me? You're not going to come to me? Every day people stand in my judgment room, Jesus, and every day they cower before me and they plead for mercy. Every day they try to give me uh, their, their reasons and why I should let them go. And I'm asking you, where are you from? I'm wanting to let you go, and yet you won't even talk to me. Don't you know that I'm the one that has the power? Don't you know that I'm the one that can release you and let you go about your life, or I can take Take you and brutally crucify you and in your life today. You need to talk to me and you need to come to me, Jesus. And yet Jesus looks at him and talk about courage. He looks at Pilate and says, You have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. Whoa. What was Jesus doing here? He was seeking the kingdom of God first. He was coming at an earthly situation with a heavenly perspective. And whenever he brought that heavenly perspective into the judgment room, there was no need for him to fear because he knew that his life was part of the eternal story. And because of that, he could lay it down. He also knew that his life had a greater purpose, and because of that, there was no need to worry. He said, oh, hold, hold on a second, Lash. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. I've heard that scene before. And didn't Pilate crucify him just a couple hours later? Yes. But the cross is not complete without the empty tomb. The cross was part of the story. Jesus' earthly struggles were attached to an eternal story. And he brought that heavenly perspective into his earthly circumstances, and it allowed him to live life with an extraordinary courage and perspective. And Jesus doesn't hoard that to himself. He says it's available to you as well. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to be anxious. And yet, I know that many of us walk into this room today Tied up in knots. Worried. Now you can plan. You can prepare. You can do everything that you can do. We need to be a good steward. We need to be wise in our actions and wise in our decisions. But there's many things that we have no control over. And so what we have to do is place our faith in the one who does have control. And believe this. God loves you. God loves you. He takes care of the little wildflowers growing on the hillside out in the middle of nowhere. He takes care of the scavenger bird that everybody just wants to go away. How much more will God take care of his dear child? What would you do for your children? 
He'll take care of you. Place your faith in Him. Seek first His kingdom. Trust Him. Let go of the worry. Drain yourself of worry. And fill yourself with faith. He'll take care of you. And those things that you need along the path of life, He'll provide. Don't give up faith. Don't give up hope. Don't give up love. Anchor them in something that's eternal. And that'll free you to enjoy the life that you have here. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. You know, Julianne and Abby today, as they were baptized, they were asked the question, who is Jesus? And they both answered that he is their Lord. He's their Savior. And I wonder if there's ever been a time in your own life where you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about whether you came to church or read your Bible or tried to do good things. I'm, I'm glad that you go to church and read the Bible and try to be a good person. But has there ever been a time in your life where you truly trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? And if there hasn't been, I... I would invite you to make this your time. There's no magic word. There's no magic formula. But right where you're sitting, would you just call out to God and say, Lord, today, I'm admitting my sins. I try to be good, but I fall short of you. And that makes me a sinner. And so I admit my sins and ask forgiveness. And I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And I ask for you to change me from the inside out. To forgive me of my past and to free me from my past. So that I might live for you. And I ask that this might be my moment of salvation. Right here in this church. On this August day. I trust in Christ. If that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I would like to be a pastor to you and pray for you. And I would like to know. So around the room, our heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. But if this is your moment of salvation where you're trusting in Christ, would you just look up at me and allow me to make eye contact with you? Pastor Lash, this is my moment. This is my moment of salvation. I'm trusting in Christ as my Savior. Just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you today and ask that you might give us victory over worry and victory over these appetites that are never satisfied by anything but you. Help us, Lord, to have our faith, hope, and love anchored in those things which are eternal. And then, Lord, help us to be set free to live here in this world in which you've placed us. For your glory, not for ours. For your kingdom, not for ours. For eternity, not just for a life window. We thank you for Jesus, in whom all things are possible. In whom time is no more. And sin is forgiven. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship.
Amen.